0: show for throttle junkies, motorheads, and anyone who loves rocking the driver's seat. From barn fresh to concourse ready, Road Muscle Radio parks the latest news and the biggest names in rolling thunder right in your ears. ears. Let's welcome your show hosts, 30 plus year radio veteran, author, playwright, lousy karaoke singer, and lover of fat and freaky American classic cars, Mark Catfish Groves, and freelance automotive journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector. Magazine, writer and editor of readthedriven.com, Brett Hatfield. Let's put the pedal to the metal. Road muscle, muscle Radio is on the air. From the magnificent Cowlick Media offices located in my basement, they're spectacular. Oh, oh so nice! All spongy. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my brother always said I'd end up in a room with patterned walls, and he was right.
1: <laughs>
2: he didn't tell you you were going to
0: build it yourself. <laughs> Welcome to Road Muscle Radio. I'm Catfish Groves. I am Brett Hatfield. Be sure to check out Road Muscle Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and at roadmuscleradio.com for links, our blog, the events we find, and of course, our podcasts. All the podcasts you can find them right there. Now, coming up in this episode of Road Muscle Radio, what millennials really want the right word for your bird. Monterey got back on track. Well, a racetrack. And then in segment two, we're going to talk with Gary and Muffy Bennett of uh, Richie Lake Auctions about how uh, to take away your case of the Mondays for the rest of the freaking year. Yeehaw. I'm kind of excited about this because, uh, you know, <laughs> Mondays, sometimes they kind of drag. I don't want to be like, come on, man. Tick tock, tick tock. Uh-huh. I got something
2: to watch. Uh-huh. How has your week been, Brett? Uh, It's been just fantabulous. Last night about dusk, the wife and I decided, hey, let's go wash every car we got. (laughs) (laughs) So... We just, you know, I never thought
0: of that for something a, to do with my loved one. We just
2: made a bunch of trips back and forth to the car wash, and the last car on the list was the Corvette. Got it done, dried it off, decided we'd put the top down and go drive around. It was nice out last night. Yeah. It was really nice. And we're driving down uh, 119th Street, and a guy in the biggest crap box Toyota you've ever seen in your life. Oh, no. Who was driving just slightly ahead of us and in the next lane over. Decided that our lane looked better to him. No signal, no nothing. Just starts coming on over. What's his half in the middle? Uh, evidently, he thinks I pay taxes on both of them.
1: <laughs> I can
2: drive in both of them. This is me all up in here. Which turns into, <laughs> remember how many times I've said, do a panic stop in that car? Oh. <laughs> oh, with those fun tires and uh-huh. those fun brakes. Five-inch wide bias plies and drum brakes, sucker. <laughs> Beat the drum sound uh-huh. like <laughs> that, would, that would be the stomp on the brakes and,
3: yeah! <laughs> and the stomp on the
2: horn. Oh, my God. And the yelling in his open window, what are you doing? doing?" Words were said. Oh, words were said. (laughs) Words were said. Uh, It took about another half hour driving around for me to get the seat upholstery out of my lower orifice. (laughs) And in such time. Tucked and rolled. (laughs) Oh, speaking of which. A skunk decides he's going to commit suicide in front of my car, runs out in front of that thing. And I'm thinking, I don't want that smell in my garage.
3: No, so you've again, got a
2: convertible, and it's low to the ground. If that spray hits, it's going it, to, wow. No, it, it wouldn't matter. Top up, top down. You're going to smell like skunk palm. Yeah. So, again, another jab at the brakes. and. <laughs> Right after that, I look at the wife and went, it's time to go home. Yeah, It's time Sanico, to go home. We've scared years off the end of our lives, but the upside <laughs> is they're the ones at the end, the crappy ones when you're in the home and uh, wearing oh, a diaper. Oh, well, there you go. Can't remember your middle name, that sort of stuff. <laughs> eh, it's better to hit
0: a skunk than God hey,
2: we, we didn't hit that
0: skunk. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I shot down to Southern Missouri. I uh, had a family event on Saturday. And then uh, when driving back Saturday evening, Mm -hmm. I'd seen some signs going down and saw the signs coming back. I'm like, come on, honey, there's this thing over All right, let's go. And uh, there was cruise night in Clinton, Missouri. Mm -hmm. I like Clinton, Missouri. That's a neat little town. Went to the uh, town square where they got the big old courthouse and the little bitty stores around it. And there was a whole bunch of... whole bunch of cars parked all down one and a half sides of the thing. And it was a nice stroll. You can see the pictures. I put just three of them up on the Facebook page for Road Muscle Radio and a link to uh, roadmuscleradio.com where I'm going to be putting a lot more of the pictures that I've taken over the years uh, at Greaserama, at the various events and stuff that I've been to. Just kind of a fun place to go, hey, look, pretty. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the cars were just gorgeous. And I being up that close once again – I may end up. Don't tell my uh, Mopar, uh, but I may uh, cheat on it uh, because that's there's a sixty. Uh, I think it's a sixty three uh, Thunderbird. I was uh, waiting for this, dude. That red one. I walked up to that. And I'm like, this thing. It just is shining like a jewel, and it kind of curvy interior, which is it. It's reminiscent to me. Got the wrap around back seat. Wrap around back seat, and then those that double uh, dish front dash yeah. like in a yeah, in you a got Corvette.
2: A, the double pod up front. Oh and Damn. on those most of them or a good chunk of them had that tilt away steering wheel yes so you get oh yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> and i'm like oh personal Shizen. luxury car that's what those things were branded and they are cool and our guest this week one of our guests this oh, week oh yes yes miss muffy uh is a studebaker or not a studebaker a thunderbird fiend
0: yes she is and and it's kind of Well, I I don't want to be rude, and I don't don't want to be all manly man, masculine, you know, alpha, whatever. But it's sometimes you don't always notice the car when she's standing there. (laughs) Bless her heart. She's the nicest
2: person in the world. She is. is She's so smart and so talented. She is a strikingly beautiful human being. But, but yeah. And, And then you hear her speak, and you think, Oh my God! she's got a personality and a sense of humor. Oh and God, her sense of humor is jacked up. she's
0: cool. yeah she is. I was glad I got to talk to her first before I ever really getting to uh, see her because
2: quick, you know. quick muffy story. I'm at a lake sale down in in uh, Dallas, and I'm shooting this Ford Fairlane and I've finally gotten everybody out of my way so I can take a good picture of it Uh-huh and I'm really focusing on what I'm doing.
0: Oh no somebody
2: kisses me in the ear. <laughs> And when you're focused, you've got a laser focus on what you're doing and there's a sudden unexpected pick. Smooch. Yep. You know, just right on the on the ear. First of all, it's like what the hell was that? Yeah. And then you whip around and in your head you're thinking okay, your average car auction goer is not female. <laughs> I didn't feel the, feel the rim of his hat. Yeah, you know, What guy just kissed me in my <laughs> ear? And I whip around, and it's Muffy, and she's this rather statuesque, six-foot-tall blonde. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess that was pretty pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <Huh>. Flush. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I, I am so glad it wasn't somebody named Jim. <laughs> I just went from, from 45 and fighting to 14 oh, and flush. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I really futzed up that picture, too. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> Ford what? <laughs> anyway, uh, Muffy and her and her husband, Gary, who is the guy I got to be friends with first. Oh, he's so cool. Uh, They'll be on a little bit later. They're going to talk about what Lake's got coming up for us and how they're oh. trans positioning and uh,
0: it's going to be cool <laughs>
2: welcome to COVID town <laughs> all that crap yep that'll be in segment two but first we got to get to the news from the classiccarjournal.com, we've got an article about millennials are starting to have a surprising impact on the collector car hobby
0: isn't that something uh-huh. I, you know it, it's kind of funny with me i whenever i think millennials i i'm putting them too young well i have to remember they're in their 40s you know and, and uh geez are they really yeah they're uh, huh. they're they're all grown up now, <laughs> you know. And I, I'm the I'm the butt end of the baby boomers, uh-huh. but uh, the millennials, uh, you know, they're right in that kind of power purchase generation. Okay,
2: I feel older now. Thank
0: you <laughs> <You're> <laughs> thank, welcome.
2: Thank you. Will, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, anyway, from JournalOfClassicCars.com. Uh, Millennials are having a surprising impact on the collector car hobby. Not only are they buying, but a Haggerty analyst says that they're what they're buying may come as a surprise.
0: Now, it would come as a surprise if, if Haggerty's getting in because I, honest to God, I I keep well, putting Hager- them too young in my head, and I keep thinking, okay, they're the they're the Radwood
2: Gen. Well, and, and then- Haggerty insures all that Radwood stuff. Haggerty will insure anything. I switched both my Harleys over to Haggerty a couple of weeks ago because I found out they were half price compared to who I was oh, having yeah. do it. <laughs> you, you want to talk about a pleasant surprise? Done. <laughs> I called Haggerty. I asked him. They said, This is what you'll pay. I said, That's all of it? That's not just part of this year? I, no, no, that's a full year. Oh, great. Let me cancel my other policy. The refund from that more than covers what you need. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, I paid the full year of Haggerty, and then I had 150 bucks left in my pocket. <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> I was not upset. <laughs> anyway, uh, what they're buying is a little bit surprising. Uh, first of all, not only are mill- millennials the fastest growing demographic of our car collectors, according to Haggerty, but according to uh, oh, John J- Wiley, John Wiley, a senior data analyst from Haggerty Valuation Services, points out the oldest ones are around 40 years of age. They're adults now. Yep. They have driver's licenses and jobs, and it sure seems like they've got some discretionary income. Well, that's terrifying. In other words, millennials have come of age, and they're buying and selling collector vehicles. Uh, Five years ago, not very many were interested in collector cars, and we've bemoaned that point before. Yeah. We've talked about how they don't seem to be attracted to it. When we started this show two years ago, that, that was yeah. one of the
0: things that we did bring up, was the fact that, wow, we've got to get this. we got to find a way
2: to hook them. we got to yeah. find a way to get them involved. Well, apparently, well, what, it's Tiger? working. Yeah, they're uh, Wiley, Wiley said of uh, the generation ranging in age from the mid twenties to the very late thirties, that now they are spending money. So what are they buying? Yeah, uh, people have a tough time believing this, but what we see with their policy core data, uh, they really like cars and trucks from late sixties and early seventies. Mm-hmm. We've seen that with the square, the square body pickups, the Fords and the Chevys, you know, yeah. and yeah. also the Broncos and the Blazers and stuff like that. And he also said that there's an assumption that millennials what millennials want are vintage imports or brand new sporty cars and there certainly are pockets of that that's
0: what i thought i thought they would all be for their little toyotas and stuff like that and
2: but he said it's still a pretty small number yeah what appears to be of interest is pony cars and yeah. muscle cars uh-huh. along with stuff from the late 70s
0: okay so you know what a you know, I'm being so damn selfish about this right now because I'm like, please keep bouncing around the boats. Stay
2: away from Don't the boats. You do you not have to worry about anybody getting on, uh, <laughs> getting that. wound up for what you're looking at. <laughs> All the stuff you love looks like it came from the home for the visually offensive. You're yes. fine. Well, I like the when it moves
0: the air like in a Matrix movie when
2: I park. Uh-huh.
0: That's, that's what I want. Yeah, well,
2: the stuff you like comes from the Ray Charles Auto Museum. So I don't think you got anything to worry about. Uh, he also notes that millennials' experience has been that uh, when they were younger, there weren't as many nice muscle cars around. And after the gas crisis, they were used up and kind of disappeared. But by the 90s, they'd been restored or were starting to be restored and they made a comeback. If you were in high school in 2001, which seems just unfathomable. <laughs> Again, we're old. Class of 82, <laughs> bitches represent. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, if you were in high school in, say, 2001, among the cars with appeal were the new BMW M3 or a fifth-gen Corvette yeah. and uh, vintage Mustangs and Camaros. Haggerty says the SN95 generation of Mustang, which followed the Fox bodies, like uh, and cars like the 97 SVT Cobra are the most popular cars of the of of the 1990s with collectors. Most popular cars from the 90s with collectors. Um, now, here's another statistic that is eye-watering to consider. Baby boomers ooh, ooh. still comprise 55% of wow. the collectible car owners, according to Haggerty. Those figures indicate the number of millennials in the hobby has increased 76% <laughs> in the past five 76%, years. 76 no wonder. Yeah. That explains a lot. It's huge growth. Guess what's hot now? Uh, Stuff that we were talking about not being so hot a couple of years ago. Oh my God. Try five Chevys. 55, we, 56, 57 Chevys, we 150s, 210s, Bel
0: Yeah, this is the time to buy them because nobody is. Yeah, well, don't...
2: apparently we had an effect because everybody Body bought cracked. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, uh, from the 1960s, they say Ford Mustangs. From the 70s, third-gen Corvettes. From the 80s, fourth-gen Corvettes. From the 90s, uh, the SN95 generation Mustangs. From the 2000s, fifth-gen Corvettes. Of course. L- let me stop there for just a second. Now, everybody knows that I'm the world's biggest Corvette preacher, fan, advocate, whatever you want to say. Fifth-gen Corvettes, uh, first of all, easier to get in and out of than third or fourth-gen. Fourth-gen Corvettes, and I've had a couple. They were like getting in and out of a canoe. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not an exaggeration. A really cramped (laughs) canoe. And uh, the other thing with fifth-gen Corvettes, most uh, luggage space. Oh, wow. On the, on the coupes. You know, that's a hatchback. You can get to your stuff pretty easily. The only third gen Corvette you could do that with was the 82 collector edition. It's the only one where the hatchback was functional.
0: You know, I've never, I've never really thought of the two words, Corvette and hatchback, as being connected, but you're not wrong.
2: No. And they've got a pretty decent amount of usable luggage space. You can. Pack your stuff up and go for a weekend or maybe go for a week. They're not bad cars. They handle really nicely. They ride pretty nicely. Not nearly as harsh as previous generations. And right now, they're cheap. Nice. They're stupid cheap. So if you're looking for a lot of fun and pretty good punch uh, for not a ton of money, 5th Gen Corvettes are not too bad. Uh, from the 2010's most popular collector car, Dodge Challenger.
0: You know, that's the way you get your big ass, uh, big honking
2: Hemi for uh, for your money. That's a that's brilliant. Well, a lot of those challengers have that three ninety two Hemi in it, and that's a oh. heck of a potent engine. Oh yeah, it and, gives you all you go you need, and they're comfy. They've got pretty good space in them. They got a bit of trunk. They got a back seat. You can load them up, just take off for the weekend, go do your thing. They're pretty decent cars, and they don't cost a ton. Yeah. So thank you, millennials, for uh, finally turning the corner and getting involved. And uh, welcome to the club. Yeah, welcome to the club. We're <laughs> certainly happy to have you. And uh, you know, we told enough people that tri five Chevys were cheap that they went out and drove the price back up. <laughs>
0: yeah, sorry about that. Or uh, congratulations if you happen to be the one who sold it. Well played.
2: <laughs> You're welcome, tri five
0: owners. You're welcome <laughs> from hemming's.com. The Ford Thunderbird they they put out their own little field guide to Ford. Uh, Thunderbird nicknames.
2: T-bird's got a long history, so there's a lot of stuff to be covered. It's like there.
0: 55 or 65 years of this vehicle. Date they, now they're not making them right now. I'm sure it'll come back at some point. Well, they
2: brought back the Bronco, so why not?
0: Yeah, why not? You know, it'll be right after they bring back the Tempo. <laughs> oh,
2: God. How dare you bite your fork? Two-door tongue. sports
0: car, but, but it'll be rear engine, so oh, it'll all be cool. Please. But the uh, uh, Mike Austin wrote about this. The Thunderbird kn- nicknames over 65 years have given us an idea about each of the uh, the chronological evolution of these. You know, it's often elated, sometimes uh, hated. American icon. There is. My dad bought a year of one of these. That's. Sucked, but uh, <laughs> I still drove it. But I couldn't get a date to save my soul. I, I really, yeah, my fifty-five Plymouth, sure. But going around in that anyway. We'll we'll, we'll get there. The uh, Hemmings takes us on that quick tour. There are eleven Thunderbird names and how they got that way. Uh, plus Hemmings was nice enough to add in some values for the vehicles. So let's take a look. The very first and early ones, the classic called the Classic Bird, also Early Bird, Little Bird, Baby Bird, nineteen fifty-five to nineteen fifty-seven. Uh, kind of called small because it was just a two-seater. And the only other time you saw that was in 2002.
2: The 55 to 57 T-Birds kept the Corvette alive.
0: <laughs> they yeah. did. Well, it was competition. So yeah, they if they're trying to compete with it, they're
2: just pointing at it. Well, first generation or first few years of Corvettes, the 53 to 55s were not really great cars. And Chevy was really considering doing away with them. And uh, the... The, that conversation took place before the 55 model year and then Ford came out with a T-Bird and then Chevy said, well, we, we can't let Ford have one and then not have one. And
0: <laughs>
2: the next year they restyled the Corvette Uh-huh. and uh, they ended 55 first year for a V8 because the, the T-Bird came with one. Oh, sure. And the, T-Bird kept the Corvette alive, and then as the Corvette started to evolve, um, Ford decided that they needed to make the T-Bird into a bigger personal luxury car.
0: Oh, yeah, we're we're definitely going to get there. But they
2: were, they were going to get rid of the T-Bird after the 55 model year, but then the Corvette changed, and they said, well, we can't not have an answer to that. They can do it. We're going to do it, by God. Yeah.
0: And also, it didn't hurt that the first-gen T-Bird vastly outsold the Vette. Oh yeah. It was a pretty hot commodity. Right now, uh if you're going to try to find one a 55 to 57, they're going to start, you know, in the fair to poor condition at $20,000. There's a sweet spot just around $50,000. That's according to Hemmings. Uh 58 to 1960. Uh Muffy, we're we're looking at you. <laughs> it's the squarebird. Now, to me it looks like a kid who got a A flat top, mom and dad Mm -hmm. took them into an old school Mm -hmm. barber because they're they're a long slab of car. Yeah. And
2: just everything, every horizontal line is just flat as the prairie. It is. This is uh, the first first evolution of the box bird. There will be another box bird coming up. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: it uh, it was less sporty, but also
0: a lot more appealing to the general public. Strangely enough, sales of the second gen exploded to around four times the total of the first generation and increased every year. One 1960 model was also made out of stainless steel wow. by Allegheny Ludlum. Now, in the price range on that, again, it's it's a lot similar to the uh, the 55 to 57. You're talking 20 to 60. Although I have seen several 59s and 1960s. Uh, on Facebook Marketplace, where you can get in with something that's running and maybe even licensable at around 10K. Yeah. You just got to keep your eyes peeled. 61 to 63. This is my hot spot. <laughs> this is Mark's Zoom. This is where I'm sorry, Mopar, but I will cheat on you with one of these babies. As you it's should. It's the Bullet Bird. Uh, I, this, what a good looking vehicle. Street, it's, uh, streamlined. It has that kind of, uh, coned front end. Yeah. Like that, a bullet. Yeah. Like a bullet. Like looking at the side of a, yep. of, of a nice bullet. And uh, just w- with the chrome trim and the interior the way it is with those scalloped uh, dash places. Oh,
2: it's well, sick. It had the, the, the twin pod front end for the driver and the front passenger. And then the back seat is kind of a wraparound design. Yeah. And very cool. And you, first of all, you couldn't believe how many options. You could get with them. You could get power, everything. Uh, you could get that really cool uh hard tonneau deck that turned it into essentially a two seater with a really long rear deck. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Very very cool cars, and man, I have seen some really gorgeous ones at auctions over the last few years, and I I'm smitten. I dig them.
0: Well, that one I saw in Clinton. That was a. Uh... Oh yeah. That was a seal the deal kind of car. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now here it says that these uh for the sixty one to sixty three, plenty of options under twenty five K. And yeah, there actually are quite a few options. Yes. I've got my eye on one that's seventy five hundred right now, and I'm kind of I'm digging on it hard. I've I've already started trying to talk to them about, uh, you know, hey, well, how is it? How's the rest? <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, with a bunch of uh, rare engines and options listed, you can get up to 60K. 64 to 66, I think, is a good-looking car. Yep. Uh, they they took away the bullet nose. It's more of kind of a cutaway, front endy looking thing. Yeah. It's almost, if you took a Mustang and made it into an old man, it's that Thunderbird front end. I do like the hood though, with the kind of nozzle or nosy shaped hood scoop mm-hmm. that comes right in the middle. Um, I'm not a real fan of how square it got on top uh, with the uh, um,
2: get a ragtop, dude.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, oh my god, that thing in a ragtop would be
2: wicked. Uh uh-huh, Get a ragtop. <laughs> so
0: a little square, not as flat as the original Squarebird, but you still got all the chrome. Uh, new sheet metal kept the Thunderbird at the top of the sales chart and ended up being the last convertible until the 2002 reboot. Disc brakes were added in 65. Sweet. Egg Crate Grill closed out the model run in 1966. And if you're looking at prices... I have seen an S ton of these, uh, 64 to 66,
2: showing up on Facebook uh, Marketplace at really super reasonable prices. That's one of the things about classic T-Birds, especially if you come from Corvettes like I do, you go look at them, you can get a lot of car for the money. Yeah, you can.
0: And it's a lot of engine. Yeah. Dude, they got a a big one under the... They got uh, a
2: 390 in
0: those. Yeah. (laughs) And low dolly. (laughs) And it's practically a two seater, but, well, although one of them did have a big enough rear seat for three. Oh, yeah. To get in fairly comfortably. Uh, When we move up to 1967 to 71, you've got the Glamour Bird. No. (laughs) <laughs> I am not enamored. No. Uh, the front end looks like a junior high yearbook shot of a kid who's super proud of their braces. No. They kind of, it's my teeth. Uh as per Hemmings, this Thunderbird dropped the sporty facade. They went fully into large uh, luxury boat territory. You think I would like it, but I don't.
2: No. There was also
0: a model. Uh, this one's kind of cool that had the um, rear hinged rear doors. So you had the suicide doors. Yeah. But it's not cool enough. To be a, uh, a, a Lincoln.
2: A, a guy that my dad worked with had one of those with the rear suicide doors on a Landau top. And even as a kid, I remember looking at it going, uh, that's that's ugly.
0: <laughs> yeah. They didn't sell real well either. So what that might add to you, if you're into this kind of car, they have a lower survival rate, which makes them kind of rarer today. Uh, the rarities reflected in the few sales on the Hemings classifieds. Uh, anywhere from 10K to 20K. And I haven't looked for them at all on Facebook, (laughs) so I have no clue. There you go. Uh, Big Bird, 1972 to 76. Sweet Jesus. Big on curb weight and, to me, big on ugly weight.
2: Oh, yeah. You could put a putting green on that hood.
0: It was... well, and, and they kept that tradition up, which is funny that I didn't really care for it on these. Uh, the car is over 18 uh, feet long. <laughs> it's two feet longer than a current Ford Explorer. Wow! Uh, the Big Bird shared the body and underpinnings with the Continental Mark V. So they did try to take on some Lincoln stuff there, but just the look of it.
2: Ford ooh. trying to save a buck.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then they had to uh, get into the new bumper standards. And by 1975, the emissions uh, rules that came in hobbled the T-Bird. It was still cushy, but it was down to 218 horsepower for a
2: big-ass car. Yeah, lots of metal, not a lot of power.
0: Hemming says 10,000. You can find it for a lot less around. <laughs> then they did what they called the Torino Bird, 77 to 79. Sure. Kind of like it. Yeah. I'm not half bad with that. Uh, they they gave up the whole uh, Lincoln Continental platform, uh, which was smart. Made it a little smaller, a little tighter. Uh, still had that hood that you could play hair, air hockey on, mm-hmm. short a wheelbase, uh, moved to a mid platform. They sold more than 300,000 of these in the first two model years and nearly that many for the third.
2: That's extraordinary.
0: So they they did it right. Sold the hell out of them. You know, I wonder if part of it, too, we came out of 74 was uh, the oil embargo, seventy three seventy four, 74, and all of a sudden every car was tiny. That's when Pintos sold like hotcakes. Yeah. And I think we got just
2: tired of that. Well, you also have to remember uh, mid to late 70s, we were in the middle of economic downturn. Uh, we had Carter for a president, and he, his economic policies weren't real strong.
0: Yeah, they, they were not popular.
2: And, well, uh, also 79 and 80, we had uh, 18, 19 percent interest rate. We had 14 percent interest rate on houses. Yeah. Fourteen percent on houses. You wouldn't take fourteen percent on a credit card now. (laughs) And we had that on houses. So people were looking for ways to save money anywhere they could. Smaller car, less to move around, better mileage. Yeah, I get it.
0: And you can find them for pretty decent prices too. Yeah. You move into nineteen eighty to eighty two, the box bird. Just sad. Or what I call a turd bird. Just sad. Oh, my God. These were ugly. This is when my dad bought in. He got himself a brand spanking new off the lot. 1980 T-Bird. It was kind of that burgundy reddish mm-hmm. with the with the white vinyl top, and it had a burgundy interior, so it just looked like one long flesh wound with a I, white um, scab on top. I'm just, I'm just sad. Oh, uh, uh, and, and, you know, Dad, God bless you, wherever you are. Thank you for trying. I mean, I did, I did drive. I put 60 miles on it cruising
2: one night just hoping to see anyone in town. Hey. I, Nothing. You know, at the time, compared to all the other crap that was out, probably wasn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, retro, but- retrospect. Oh, my Lord.
0: This was the, uh, yeah, looking back, no, no. It's the first Thunderbird on the Fox platform. Yes. And they got it down to the intermediate size, obviously. Sales dropped nearly in half in 1980. And we're down to 45,000 in 1982. Ford, you need to thank my dad. He was one of those
2: sales. Well, Uh, there's one born (laughs) every minute, right?
0: Now, in the price range, this makes me giggle because uh, according to Hemmings, they seem to go for under 15,000. No kidding. (laughs) No, I would I would buy. There is a Woody LeBaron convertible. I would buy before I would buy one of these. I like Facebook those. And, and they're awful. Oh, they look like hell. Yeah, but yeah.
2: there's just they're outrageous. Well, and, how many times are you gonna go watch St. Elmo's Fire after you buy <laughs> that sucker? <laughs> Next up, eighty three to eighty eight. Hello, Radwood. I liked these. The Arrowbird. After a couple of years of the Arrowbird uh, introduction, they came out with the. Thunderbird Turbo Coupe.
0: Yep. It was a uh, turbocharged 2.3-liter four-cylinder. I'm reading which that right I, off the paper. Which, if
2: I'm not mistaken, is really, really close to the Mustang SVO drivetrain. Ooh. And at the time, I mean, they're not fast now. You look at them now, and I think the 0 to 60 is around eight seconds. But at the time, they were pretty quick, and they were cool, and they had a turbo, and it had twin holes in the hood. to suck the
3: air in. Yeah. <laughs> You could get it with a five-speed and... That was cool.
2: That was really cool after the Thunderbird being really awful for a long time. The Turbo the Turbo coupes were neat, man. We really wanted one.
0: And even on uh during this time, 83 to 88, Ford was using the styling on a number of their NASCAR cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it actually had something going for it. Sales rebounded in this generation, averaging around 150,000 a year. And when you find one, they seem to go for $10,000 or more, according to Hemmings. If you can
2: find a really clean one, they are rare. You don't see them very often.
0: Yeah, true. Well, you know, rust. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Hello, 80s. (laughs) Then uh, we hit 89 to 97. This is an eight-year stretch called the Super Bird, which I call the Super Board. Uh, I, I can appreciate the power they put into it. But the, the styling, when well, they started kind of clipping off the front and the back yeah, end. It,
2: it, but you were also seeing similar generation that uh, the Lincoln Mark 7 and Mark 8 yeah. through there also. And the they had the Super Coupe. They, they did, no longer had the Turbo Coupe, but they had the Super Coupe, which was that 3.8 liter uh, uh, supercharged. Variant, and if memory serves, if I'm not incorrect, that may have been the same base engine they used for the Ford Taurus SHO.
0: Well, they said uh in the article that the engine was highly tunable, yeah, that you could play with it a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, in 1991, you got the Windsor V8, followed up with a modular V8, and they were only available with an automatic transmission. Well, you know, but uh. To me, they were slabby, drabby, and I kind of think they look like a, a tempo that worked out. <laughs> you know, pumped you up. Uh, you know, and if you love them, I don't mean to be rude, but I just, damn. So uh, price range generally under $15,000. And then uh,
2: finally, and oh, God, these yeah. were so.
0: So they were gone for a long time. And then they yeah. came back out in 2002 to 2005. I thought they looked pretty cocky.
2: See, and this is this was the J. Mays retro styling era that came around with those, uh, those O2 Thunderbirds. And at the time, they looked pretty cool. It looked like a neat throwback. I don't think they've aged well.
0: They didn't age well. And from what I've read about them, the quality just from the get-go wasn't getting going very (laughs) no (laughs) and it was a 3.9
2: liter eight and the performance wasn't it wasn't a performance car and it wasn't really a luxury car it was kind of half of one and half of the other and it didn't do either real well
0: it was a thunderbird
2: Mm -hmm. and it's
0: back and yawn so it had a real strong first year but then the sales declined every year uh and according to the article there's plenty of blame to go around from the concept to production sedate driving experience um it just it just was kind of there
2: but you also have to remember they were building them on a common platform uh with the lincoln ls and the jaguar s type this is when ford still owned jaguar oh wow so it it was again ford trying to save money by having this common platform and hey let's figure out something to do with the thunderbird and i've seen a few of these at sales they don't sell well no no No, no you know who they sell well to Fat guys who have Tommy a silk Tommy Bahama t-shirts or a silk Tommy Bahama button-down shirts on, and they tuck those into khaki shorts, and they're wearing New Balance tennis shoes with white socks that come up just below their
0: knees, and they smell like cherry cigars. No, they smell like cherry
2: cigars and Ben Gay and.
0: So, But if you own one, we think you're
2: cool, okay? Yeah. Cool. You, you're all right. Coolest guy at the home.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> so anyway, they go pretty – it's just not much money. And there you go. You've got your list of uh, birds. If you want to check out the links on that, you can, of course, go to roadmuscleradio.com.
2: From autoweek.com, we've got a story about, well – Something happened at Monterey this oh, week. Oh, yay! Monterey was on again? No. No. Everything um, at Monterey almost has been canceled uh, with the exception of just a few little pop-up things. Now, yeah. that said, I got a bunch of friends who said they were going to Monterey anyway. Hell yeah. Yeah. All the car nerds were going to meet up and see each other and do all that stuff, too. And talking about pictures from car shows, like you oh, yeah. posted earlier, Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you caught it earlier today. I put up hundreds of pictures from Monterey stuff that went on last year. Today, as we're recording this, this is Tuesday. Tuesday is Concours on the Avenue in Carmel over at Monterey. So I posted a couple hundred pictures from last year's Concours. (laughs) Because I really, really wish we could be there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And for you who were going, Cindy Meidel, I know you're there. Hey, howdy. How you doing? Mike Musto had talked about maybe going down and seeing what was going on. And it sounds like not everything got canceled. I know Mecham was going to do an auction. And they ran a private event at the WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna Seca. Uh, So... Monterey has been canceled for the most part. Uh, so many great car events. And, man, there's just tons of stuff. Yeah. You can't hit it all. There's so much crap to do in a regular Monterey year. You can't get to all of it. But a number of historic race cars ran at Laguna Seca last weekend. Uh, it wasn't your usual run. Uh no. You know. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. No, this is COVID town. <laughs> COVID town. Uh, but... Um, a number of traditional Monterey Car Week uh, runners showed up at Laguna Seca. Uh, what had in the past been called the prehistorics, the weekend warm-up to what was called the historic races, and was up until last year called the Monterey Motorsports Reunion, was sort of held last weekend at <laughs> Laguna Seca. So they still showed up. They still came out. You can't keep us away. We're car fiends. It's just like the people who said they were going to show up for the Woodward Dream Cruise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even <laughs> though everybody canceled that sucker. Hello. So if you were watching it from space or maybe from the Goodyear blimp, driver appreciation weekend might look like the prehistorics. Uh, there were grand old classic race cars divided into eight classes, battling it out in real live action on the track. That still freaks me out. That uh,
0: And I know it's because the, the cars were meant – this was meant for them. They weren't yeah. meant to be put up on a shelf and no. ood and odd. They were meant to be raced, but uh, – on. These cars are worth a
2: lot of money. Here's a good example. And I think you might remember me talking about this way back when on our other show. Adam Carolla sold several very expensive collector cars he owned. He sold a Lamborghini Mira, which is not an inexpensive car. No. And he sold a Lamborghini, I think a 400 GT to buy Paul Newman's. Former Porsche 930 race car. Oh, my
0: God. That's cool.
2: Legend (laughs) has it that thing was $4.5 million. Adam takes it out and races it. Oh, my God. He also has the biggest. Uh, yes, he does. He has. some <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he certainly does. <laughs> and they and they clank. You're uh, wrong. <laughs> he's got the biggest collection of uh, former Paul Newman race cars. I think of anybody anywhere. Oh and wow! And he takes them out and he races them. Well, That's sure. what they're meant to do. But he takes that Hawaiian Tropic livery uh, Porsche 930 out and races it. And I'd be surprised if he wasn't running something at Laguna Seca last weekend. Uh, even Ford C jim farley ran his 65 cobra that's a million dollar car jesus uh nissan vp of design david woodhouse took his ex ken miles dolphin mark ii around laguna Sega. ken miles drove it you know that thing's gonna be wow. worth a fortune the only thing missing was the fans <laughs> according to track spokesman barry uh i'm gonna say uh, top Topkey, top i believe so T O E P K A E. Barry, if I butchered your name, I certainly apologize. Big B.
0: B T. We, we call him B T because yeah. he's a close personal friend. <laughs> uh,
2: so uh, several of us were sitting around, sitting at a table, and we thought, let's see if we can put together a driver appreciation weekend just for people who really want to run or uh, who want to race or run their cars. Let's give them a chance. Social distancing at high RPMs. Winning. Winning. Uh, HMSA president Chris Vandegrift, longtime vintage race organizer, said it's a good group of people, very enthusiastic, very appreciative, good cars. It's been a nice weekend. The only thing that is missing is the social aspect, but it really has been good racing. They were all having fun. 100, nice. 179 cars God. entered, less than half of what have normally been on Oh, hand, my God. But they were great cars. Uh, we've got eight, eight different classes. I'll buzz through them real quick. Yep. Uh, Class One uh, saw Bugatti Type 35 racing against Porsche 356s, a Lotus 11, and a birdcage Maserati. Oh my Jesus. god! Jesus.
0: That's right up your
2: uh Sexy. wheelhouse. Uh Nissan's VP of Design, David Woodhouse, drove his Ken Miles 1961 Dolphin Mark II Formula Junior. That
0: Class One, right on. Class
2: One, Class Two, all Formula Atlantics. Oh, I'm sitting in my own sauce. <laughs> Two were driven uh, by Insta <laughs> Camel GT champ Chris Cord's sons, Bill and Steven, who drove a Chevron B39 and a March 76B, respectively. Class three collection of 50s and 60s sports cars. Yeah. It just keeps getting better. A Lotus Lotus Ford Cortina, Datsun 2000, some early 911s, and a Sunbeam Alpine. I dig those. Yes. Class four, slightly more purpose built race cars like Lotus 23 and 23Bs, a Porsche 910, McLaren M1C. McLean- and a Cooper Monaco. Class 5 moved up a decade or two with a Datsun 240Z, BMW M3, Porsche RSR 2.8. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to need a moment. And a couple of Camaros. Yeah, Class baby. 6, all 60s muscle cars yeah! uh, like Corvettes, Mustangs, and Cobras. Uh, Lynn Park brought three Cobras and Good raced Lord. one while his sons Tim and Steve raced two others. Newly minted Ford CEO Jim Farley drove his 65 Cobra. Oh, God, I just want to be there. either. Uh, Class 7 was back down a decade to a Lola T204, uh, a Lota 61M, and a Van Diemen RF80. And Class 8 was crawling with Datsun 510s, probably where Mr. Corolla was racing, uh-huh. uh, one of which driven by racing great John Morton. Wow. So great stuff going on at Laguna Seca.
3: Uh, <laughs>
0: and i'm just so happy to see that it did happen that people went ahead and, and said you know we'll do it as uh we'll do it safely but we're gonna do it
2: still hell yeah 179 cars out on the track everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing in those cars which is turning a wheel and anger. i <laughs> love it
0: you can find links to these stories and more on our blog at road muscle radio and coming up in our second segment the bennett connection gary and Muffy. Get us in the know on a new every other Monday kind of awesome. Stick around. More Road Muscle Radio is on the way.
2: We're back with Road Muscle Radio. Find us on the web at RoadMuscleRadio.com, on Twitter and Facebook at RoadMuscleRadio. If you know somebody we should talk to, send us an email at driver at RoadMuscleRadio.com and we'll see about having them on for an interview. Joining us now is the powerhouse couple behind Lake Collector Car Auctions, Gary and Muffy Bennett. Gary Bennett's career in the collector car industry has spanned over 50 years. As the former vice president of consignment bidders and guest services for Barrett-Jackson, Gary was instrumental in Barrett-Jackson's meteoric growth. In 2018, Gary was invited to join Ritchie Brothers, spearheading their entry into the collector car auction sector. Muffy Bennett's career in the collector car auctions industry has spanned well over two decades. Her experience as CEO of Bennett Automotive Specialists included offering concierge services for celebrities and high net worth individuals, collection expansion and liquidation, appraisals, and buying and reselling collector vehicles. In addition to working in various capacities at Barrett-Jackson for 15 years, she also oversaw the showroom division and all the aspects of the full-service dealership. Muffy joined Richie Brothers in 2017, forging their entry into the collector car world. I met Gary at a uh, lake auction in Dallas. I recognized him from Barrett-Jackson because I'd been there a bunch of times. And he was on a year-long hi- hiatus in between uh, Barrett and going to Lake. And I walked up, I introduced myself, and he is the nicest guy in the world. We just stood around, a couple car guys, shooting the breeze for about an hour, uh, not really worried about anything. And the whole time I'm thinking this guy's busy he's got better crap to do than to be standing around talking to me and he took the time we just shot the breeze about corvettes and auction stuff and cars that were at the sale and then i met his wife um every car guy in the world wants to meet a six foot tall gorgeous blonde who knows and loves cars But the cherry on the cake that is Muffy is she's got a messed up sense of humor, and it's a lot like (laughs) mine. (laughs) And uh, they are the sweetest people, and I just love them to death. I can't say enough good stuff about Gary and Muffy. So thanks so much for being back on Road Muscle Radio. And by the way, I miss you both a ton. I'm really, really sad that we didn't get to get together in Tulsa or Dallas and uh, I, I appreciate you being back on the show. And by the way, thanks for that case of hand sanitizer. It's been quite tasty. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, Brad, it's a pleasure to, to be here. And I, I know I speak for very when I say we miss you, too. And we're glad that the hand sanitizer has come in handy. Yes, it, ah, uh, it oh, has sorry. been
2: awesome. Um, <laughs> now, I could have skipped oh. that whole introduction and established their car world bona fides with one question. How many pets do you have that are named after cars or car-related names?
3: we got three. We've got Enzo the cat. Four. Hemi and Kuda. Paris Frenet. Paris, oh, Paris, middle, her middle name is Frenet.
1: For a coach builder of Paris. Go <laughs> oh, <because she's> <laughs> figure. Hemi and Kuda and Enzo the cat and uh, Paris Frenet. And, 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 our a, problem and, and problem. explain
2: what Hemi and Kuda are.
3: Hemi and Kuda are two um, Off color blonde bulldogs. <laughs> English bulldogs. English bulldogs. And, and is Hemi still yeah. fascinated
2: with the pool in the backyard?
3: Oh, yeah. good lord. He, that that dog's going to drown if we're not careful. They yeah. <laughs> sink like a rock. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like a Hemi engine. Like he, a
1: Hemi engine. <laughs> he can't, yes. He'd be a good boat anchor. I would uh, indeed. Yeah, we got the surgery. I believe Brad, it. I wanna just, you know, just let me say one thing. I'll be sure you don't confuse your hand sanitizer with a border's fire.
2: I, I would never. <laughs> I would never <laughs> 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 I, I'm just gonna What's send I'm just gonna send the
0: empties back. He seems to clean his hands a lot <laughs> on ice these days.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> This this has been a really craptastic year. It's been a difficult year for the collector car auction world, to say the least. Uh, how have you had to adapt?
1: Well, Brett, you were there. We 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 were coming off an incredibly successful Scottsdale event, and it was this year. And 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 we're so excited about our future because we were rolling into uh, going into Charlotte in May, and, and we were going to do our Tulsa sale later in June, and then we were partner, we partnered with the Texas Rangers to do an event in their, their new stadium in Arlington, Texas, and all of that ended. Uh, we didn't even know it when it ended in March. We didn't know that really was where we were going to be. We just knew that the United States had essentially shut down uh, for a while, and we were all hoping, all of us everywhere, it would be a short time, and here we are today, and I don't believe, well, the collect market is still alive and well, and that's been evidenced by the success that Dana Meekum had in putting on his sale in Indianapolis uh, in July. Yeah. And my hat's off to Dana and his team for doing that and, and being able to pull it off the way they did. And And I think what we saw there was not only the hard work they put together to have that happen, but... The evidence of the, that the market's still strong, the buyers are there, the sellers are always there, but the buyers went out there and, and they paid good money for good cars, and, and that was encouraging, I think, to all of us because none of us knew where the market was going to be when we got back to it, and here we are. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're excited about it, but we, because we're part of Richie Brothers, are not going to be able to have a live event this year. Uh, Ritchie Brothers has shut down all of their live events worldwide, and we're part of that, obviously. And uh, we are we are pivoting like they have into the virtual world.
3: Yeah, and 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 to add to Gary's uh,
1: comments, one
3: of the things we did pretty much immediately was we started utilizing our online uh, marketplace e platform, which is essentially like a, a, for lack of a better comparison, like a.
1: Uh, classified ad section. Well, know? I'm going to change it a, a little bit. for uh, I, think, I think what it is, Marketplace E is a cross between eBay and bring a trailer. Yeah. Yes. And, and uh, when, I, when I say that, it's very much like eBay because you can do it and not talk to anybody if you don't want to. But if you want to talk to someone about a vehicle, you can call us and we'll answer every question you ask if, if we know the answer. And if we don't know the answer, we'll put that buyer in touch with that seller and let them put something together. So that's been a powerful tool for us until we've evolved into this next step. Why don't you tell them about that?
3: Yes, our next step is we have started the online uh, auction platform um, utilizing Richard Brothers' uh, uh, Iron Planet model. Um, I know I'm probably jumping ahead on you, but I'm going to ramble away about it anyway.
1: Too so much for a plan,
3: right? You were in the Red Bull in Carlin, um, One of the things that we've done is we had our inaugural online auction uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it, it, it went okay. You know, it, it left a bit to be desired. But um, uh, we, we got through that, and we sold an awful lot
1: post-sale. And now we're working on... Let me jump in here. You left something. I don't I leave out. Well, not only is it a virtual sale and other auction companies have been doing that since this happened. Ours has a live auctioneer. We have a live auctioneer auctioning off the vehicles. Oh. We read a description. We read a description of every vehicle and we have a live auctioneer auctioning it off and um, taking live bids from people sitting in front of their computers isn't a bit but
2: that's cool and different. That's really it's different. Very
1: cool and very, very different, and it's exciting. It's really exciting to watch. I mean, people—it's so different than in the real auction, the live auction arena. People waiting to the last minute and then start trying to jump in there and try to screw with people's heads. You can see it electronically. It's not the same thing as seeing them do it. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's cool stuff.
3: It offers a sense of urgency as well, which you don't have, which is an ordinary online auction that has no buy-off
1: share cost. Yet.
2: Well, you've got another online event coming up here pretty quick. What can you tell us about that?
1: But one of the things we didn't mention earlier was that we limit the sale to, right now we're limiting the sale to about 70 cars, 60 to 70 vehicles, and it's about a three-hour window, and, which is 20 cars an hour plus. And uh, we're doing that on 5 o'clock uh, Eastern Time. Obviously, that's 2 o'clock West Coast time on a Monday, and we found that Mondays are good days because people don't have a lot. I mean, Mondays are typically busy, but at the same time, you're always looking for something to do besides work if you can. uh, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm I'm going to brag a little bit. You know, our, our first absolute sale. We'd never done this. We didn't know what to expect. We had. Seven hundred and sixty four registered bidders, and they were then we had twenty eight thousand viewers while it was going on. oh wow and we, and those those bidders came from every state, all fifty states and fifteen countries and, and that and we were just blown away by that. so here we go, we're rolling into this next one and and uh, overcoming we had some technical issues in the first one that we had to overcome, and, and, we, and we've made, we fixed all that, and here we go. And I think we've really got a future doing this until we can get our live event. So we've left, right now, I think we've got 68 cars on the docket wow. for the August 17th sale. Mm-hmm. And we've got cars from the Tammy Allen collection, from the Michelle Mozzie collection. Uh, we have cars with reserves. We have cars without reserves. We've got motorcycles. I know you've got a new Harley and I think that's very cool. Your your Moodlide is one of my favorite bikes that Harley ever made. <laughs> you got a Mooglide? Yeah I did.
2: I thought I told you <laughs>
3: Oh God, we did you I forgot I met you know
2: to. I promise I'll send pictures. What unexpected challenges have you run into uh, in the transition from live sales to online events?
1: Well, that's a good question, and and I think it's hard. Um, the the co- collector car world is such an emotionally driven business oh, yeah. hobby, and oh, there's yeah. so much. There's so much spontaneity in it as well. Speaking for myself, I've gone to sales before to buy a particular car, and while I was there, I saw something I had no clue I wanted <laughs> until I saw it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, then happened? We've all experienced that, right? And next thing I know, I've got that instead of the car I went for. So it, it, that component is completely missing in the virtual world. And I, and I think that as wonderful as technology is, it cannot replace. Uh, actually, seeing the cars, touching them, feeling them, talking to the owner live, if you will i mean there's just so many pieces of that that are missing, and I think too that a virtual buyer wants to be careful because he can 't see it, and True. as a result, we have to come up with a way to overcome the unknown because we all know photographs lie <laughs> and makes <laughs> And if you don't, if you don't believe that, look at some of the stuff you see on uh, on the television broadcasts or some of the other auction houses. And if you're sitting there and you see the cars, you go, "My God, am I the, am I in the same room? Yeah." <laughs>
0: Brett's had to listen to me whine about that for, what, two years now? Yeah, I, I
2: found one on Facebook. Oh, God, I went and saw it.
3: Oh, geez. We, we now
2: have a show rule. Mark is no longer allowed to shop for cars in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong.
1: <laughs> That's a challenge. That's a real challenge because any buyer wants to be prudent about what they buy, and they want to be careful. And as a result, it's hard to get retail prices for cars in the virtual world because everyone thinks, okay, this car's not as it looks. I'm gonna to have to spend some money on it, so they're trying to buy them for less sure. than, than what they might ver- they could actually see them. So that's just the reality of the virtual world we're in, and and we're working on something to overcome that uh, through the Iron Planet, part of our uh, sister company. They have what they call an ironclad assurance, and they will actually do inspections on equipment we're using that same format, if you will, and we're going to begin, or this is going to evolve. It's going to be phased in over the next couple of events we have. But it, we're going to provide the same kind of service for the collector cars, which I think is a huge component. Because through, the, through photography, we're going to point out every flaw that we can see. And uh, we're going to start the cars and run them, make sure they don't have unusual noises, that kind of thing. So it's important, I think, to give the the buyers some comfort that they're buying the vehicle as it's represented. And I think that's key to trying to get more money and having a a higher sell-through rate as well.
2: You said you've got 68 cars up for grabs for this auction that's coming on Monday the 17th. What are some of the more interesting or cooler things you've got in that lot?
1: Muffy, go ahead. I mean, we've got
3: a really cool 44 deluxe uh, coupe. Um Now, I've been dragged kicking and screaming into the rest of mod world. Uh, every step of the way, I'm more of a purist, but this thing really caught my eye. It's absolutely adorable. It's our LS one 400 horsepower. Uh, the thing's stunning. I'm going to brag on a piece from Tammy Allen's collection. It's uh, studio number one, Hurst.
1: Viper. 50th anniversary.
3: 50th anniversary, that's
1: right. Oh, and I think wow, they
3: were supposed to, I think they were supposed to make 50 of them. I don't know if they ever managed to make 50 of them. Oh, no. By it, the way, we got a serial number one uh, across the block, and it's a really, really cool car. So that's a couple of my favorites. Gary, how about you?
1: Well, I I love that car as well, and we have it in our possession. So it it, it it's one of those cars that pictures don't buy. Out of the out of the Michelle Mazzi collection, we've got a '69 Mercury Cougar yeah. XR7 convertible. That is an absolutely spe- spectacular car. We've got a we've got a Ferrari. We've got a you love this. We've got a '91 Indian 741 military yeah. motorcycle.
2: I've oh. I've already been looking at it.
1: <laughs> okay, you know all about it. And we, we've got the '93 Ferrari 512 TR Coupe. Uh, we, we've got an incredible. We've got a late-model Porsche Cayenne uh, SUV. We've got
3: something for everybody.
1: It, 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 really. It's great because we've got something for everyone, literally. And, and, and you you got to love this because we sold two of them in Scottsdale, too. We've got a 08 Shelby GT convertible barrett Jackson edition, and it's <laughs> one of, I think, four or five that have auto, an automatic Eleven. transmission.
3: Eleven. One of 11.
1: One of 11 with an automatic transmission. And... uh So, you know, it's, I think it's an incredible mix and a great representation of the collector car community. And they're, they're, they're all, they're coming from all over the country. I'm, I'm looking at cars from California, Washington State, Arkansas, Kansas, Florida, uh, Indiana. It, they're, they're, they're coming from everywhere.
2: If you can, tell us what sets a lake auction apart from other collector car auctions.
3: You know, uh, well,
0: <laughs> it's Gary and Muffy. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Story done.
3: Out there. You know,
1: I, 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 and, and I tried to instill this the last place I was. And I think it's the importance of the personal touch, right? It is. And, and, we Matthew and I are approachable, but everyone on our team is approachable and our goal is to do the best job we can for our consigners, believing that you can't even have this business exist without consigners and they deserve as much attention as as you can give them and you can't give them too much because without them you don't have a business and then of course buyers you got to take care of your buyers and make them comfortable with what they're buying and provide them with as much information and and a lot of people I've been in this industry hobby, if you will, since its inception. And to me, an auction, a live auction environment is like breathing to me. It's as natural as breathing. But having said that, when you think about people that haven't been in it, it's an intimidating world. It's, it's, it's amazing. And you're afraid if you're in a live event, you're afraid you'd move your hands or wave at somebody for fear you'll buy something. And if you're online, you're sitting there timid about, am I sure I want to do this? What if, you know? There's so many things, and we want to work with everyone to try to overcome all of those challenges and make them comfortable while they're, while they're doing it with us to where they feel comfortable enough to want to come back, and that's nice. the cue.
2: I've heard a, a rumor that you're going to start doing these every other week. We are. Oh, my God. Yep. Awesome. That means a whole new batch of cars every other week.
3: Exactly.
1: And, and exciting. <laughs> and in a perfect world. In a perfect world, while we're while you're previewing the sale on this coming Monday, Monday afternoon, as soon as this is over, we're going to have 70 more cars up on a website if you look at us doing them two weeks later.
2: Awesome.
3: Christmas every other week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love the idea. So uh, wrapping up, what impact has the pandemic had on the collector car auction industry?
3: Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's been a, it's been a challenge, you know, I, I, I can't speak for the other auction firms, but you know, this is a really emotion driven industry and it's been, it's been hard transferring all that over into a hundred percent online in the meantime. So, you know, until we get the pandemic under control when, you know, and, and until Richie Butters Lake and, and Iron Planet feel with the, that, um, you know, Employees can go back to safe environments and live events. You know, I don't don't see it happening, not in 2020, but, um, you know, good cars are still selling for good money. It's just they're selling online. I will say this has been uh, fantastic to see the older generation who isn't necessarily computer savvy uh, work to get computer savvy. You know, I mean, we have some, our demographic tends to be older, and they have really, they have really stepped up and and learned how to register to bid and bidding and asking the right questions. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's been a struggle from a value standpoint. I think we're using existing values that we have on tap from no reserve sales. Uh, But other than that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's still, it's still flourishing. It's just not publicly flourishing, if that makes any
1: sense. I think, there's two things. One, she's already touched on. I think we've brought a generation of people that weren't interested in computers very much that have, that have had to learn how to use them to function, whether it's their business or whether it's working from home or whether it's chasing cars. But I think one of the biggest impacts I think that I've seen is the reluctance on the lack of knowledge about the marketplace. No one is sure what the market is anymore yeah. because there's been so little activity. And the activity that we've seen is, is, is what we've seen. But sometimes, you have to, is it real or is it Memorex? You aren't sure what you just saw. Having said that, I think there's a tremendous, re- my experience, is a tremendous reluctance to consign a car at no reserve today. I think the no reserve model is endangered right now because people are just not comfortable with where the market is without some real-life experiences and being able to witness that real-time. I yeah. think that's a huge piece of this. It's just a
3: very valid point. And, and it's understandable, too, and that's where we can come it in, is. because we're, we, we offer the reserve option. So, you know, you, you, your consigners don't really have to worry about you know the market and the lack of the comparables uh, out And as
1: you know, I'm up I'm as a huge proponent of and responsible for a lot of what happened to my former employers in the, in the no-reserve world, and I believe in that. Wholeheartedly, but I also respect the consigners' concerns about taking the chance, taking sure. the risk, and the pandemic has increased that exponentially, in my opinion, in how they feel about the risk.
2: Sure. I, I think that's absolutely accurate and uh, absolutely valid. We've been speaking with Gary Muffy Bennett of Lake Collector Car Auctions. You can find all of the social media links for Gary Muffy, Gary's Hair, and Lake all on RoadMuscleRadio.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I can't wait to see you again. I hope it's sooner rather than later.
3: Likewise, thanks for having us. We love you guys. Thank you for having us. Take care of yourself.
2: Love you too. You know, they're just good people. They are. They are the best people. I love the Bennett's to death. They have been so sweet to Rhonda and I. We've been to a bunch of their sales. And like Gary said about the personal touch, they are so accommodating and so easy to work with. And if you need anything, all you have to say is, hey, uh, you know what would be helpful, and they—they they are all all about that personal service. They are fantastic people, and I love them to death. And keep that hand sanitizer coming; it has been very tasty.
0: <laughs> and we appreciate them being on, and we appreciate you being here, listening, and sharing your time with us as we yak about grease, gears, and cool car stuff. There's nothing like going on a fun ride when you got fun people to share it with. Be sure to visit us on Facebook at Road Muscle Radio at roadmuscleradio.com, and on Twitter. I'm Catfish Groves. I am Brett Hatfield, and we'll catch you down the road on Road Muscle Radio.